Walking with Jesus, serving with love, sharing with courage. Welcome to the PCOM Podcast. here. It's great to be back here on the podcast. It's also great to have Pastor Courtney back on the podcast with us, and of course to have both Courtney and Daryl back along with Lincoln and Wilson and Fizzy. It's been fun having their faces at church. This is the first podcast since I was given the opportunity to preach a few weeks ago. I mentioned in the second service that I was surprisingly nervous for the first service, and, and public speaking isn't something that I normally makes me nervous, but there's something about preaching at your own church. Um, you know, usually I, I preach and then uh, leave. I go home, I get on a plane or, or, uh, or what have you. So to, uh, to preach with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ at PCOM was, uh, was really fun. I appreciate all the kind words from many of you, and I hope you'll never hear the word knave the same again. You'll remember, of course, it's, it's the boat. Okay, so it is Advent season, right? We're in the Endgame series talking about Advent, and we're using the the readings from the Advent season. But it's also Christmas season, right? We tend to conflate the two. Some some bemoan this. I I don't. I absolutely love Christmas. On my regular podcast, The Christian History Almanac, I'm using my special weekend slots to do a bunch of fun Christmas history shows from from Christmas music to the the history behind Christmas traditions. And I, I want to make sure I, I make these shows different from that show because there are some of you who listen to both and I don't want to repeat myself. Sometimes I'll, I'll kind of weave some stuff together but want to make this pecan pod, uh, especially for for us, for the, the local church. It's been uh, fun having some of you listen to my other show and uh, I may or may not have told you that Clayton Simon has listened to every episode. He is nothing if not thorough. And I don't think I'm breaking confidence here to say he sends questions to the Almanac mailbag, but under uh, a pseudonym. And this last weekend, I asked for questions about Christmas traditions. And Clayton sent me 12 questions, ostensibly a parallel for the 12 days of Christmas. I answered a few of his on my regular show, but I thought I'd answer a few of them, the ones I didn't, a couple of the ones I didn't answer, I would answer on this week's Pecom Pod. We'll start with some easy, kind of sillier ones, and then we'll end with a comment on Christmas movies, which I hope might help you see shadows of, of Jesus, even in the most secular of Christmas movies and celebrations. So the first question Clayton asked, or one of the first questions was, why do we give fruitcake on Christmas? Why is this a, a Christmas staple? Well, first, special cakes are a holiday staple no matter the holiday. So we're going to see regional versions of sweet cakes throughout the world for various holidays. But in the Anglophone world, the fruitcake is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It started in England and then caught on in the colonies. Now, fruitcakes, first, we have to understand, don't have to be bad. We often make fun of them because they are, or they're, they're rock hard. And this is largely due to the fact that these are popular cakes and gifts 
because they can last a long time. Dried fruits and nuts baked into bread with alcohol is a good way to make a treat that can last an entire season, especially before refrigeration. But being that they can be consumed over a long time would make it such that sometimes they are kept for too long, and thus the stereotype of the hard, stale uh, fruitcake. But they are actually quite good when uh, consumed soon enough, uh, but they were you know, one of these popular because they could last and because they would use things that were, um, that were readily available. He also asked about coins in cakes. This comes from a long tradition of playing games with our food. I suppose don't play with your food has been ignored for centuries. And one tradition is to bake uh, a coin or something small into a cake. And in New Orleans, they have the, the like the Christkind, the Christ baby that they put in a cake. And then you slice the cake, cake up and whoever's piece has the special thing in it, well, they win. And so perhaps they're granted the, the head of the table or, or an extra helping. Just for fun, there's an old Roman version of a, a kind of food and drink game where a piece of hard toast is put at the bottom of a goblet, uh, you know, the wine or mead or some such. And everyone takes turns drinking from the cup until the last person person finishes the cup. They encounter that piece of bread, that toast, and then they are required to give a speech. Hence the tradition of toasting. All right, Clayton also asked about 10 lords a-leaping. So what, what are the 12 days of Christmas? This is a question I'm actually asked a number of times, and why do we have... Um, uh, well, we tend to have, they're standardized now, but they haven't always been. So Lords Leaping uh, are common, but they, they used to have any number of uh, variations. First things first, the 12 days of Christmas do not contain a secret Christian message. Some have claimed this, but um, the, the 12 days of Christmas comes from an English game in a very Christian England, so there would be no need to be secretive. It's not like, you know, third century Rome. Uh, but some have made the numbers and uh, the, the, the gifts point to biblical things like Jesus is the partridge in the pear tree, two turtle doves is two testaments, three French hens are for the Trinity, four calling birds are the evangelists, etc., etc. Fun fact, uh, it's not uh, calling birds. It's collie birds, C-O-L-L-Y, collie. A collie bird was a, a blackbird. So the 12 Days of Christmas song comes from another game, something called a forfeit game. That's each person coming up with their own item corresponding to their order in the game. So if you're first, you could say, you know, um, partridge in a pear tree. The second person says two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. The third person comes up with something original and then does two and one. The fourth person has to do theirs, three, two, one, and on and on. And as soon as someone forgets it or can't repeat all of them backwards, then they lose. It's uh, it's how I remember learning names. Like in, in grade school, we do that kind of thing. So uh, 12 Days of Christmas, of course, it also works as a song because there are 12 days of Christmas, right? It goes from the 25th of, Chris, of, of uh, December to the 6th of January, which is Epiphany. So technically it's Advent until the 25th, and then Christmas until the 6th. I found and this on the web. 
my wa- my see this is what I would edit out in my normal show. My watch, which is always listening to me, I guess, sometimes thinks I'm talking to it, but I'm I'm never talking to my watch. I'll turn that off. So uh, <laughs> goes Advent, Christmas, and then uh, Epiphany, and then we're off headed towards uh, well, eventually Lent, Easter, and then Pentecost. Now, as as much as I love Christmas in my house, we are done on the 26th. I don't know how long you guys keep all your stuff up. We tend to to sort of, you know, have a big bang on the 25th and then everything comes down. We go from, uh, you know, driving home from grandma and grandpa's house on Thanksgiving. We play uh, Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That's the like the track that says it's Christmas time. And then it's all and only Christmas music until the 25th and then not not again, but um, there's a, a nice theological word for this. It is adiaphora, A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A, and that means things indifferent. So you can't you can't judge a Christian. Uh, this comes from uh, conversations during the Reformation as to what is necessary, what's unnecessary. Some people wanted to keep traditions. Think of how we use the the church calendar and use the readings for for Sunday. Uh, it's something that we sometimes do at church and sometimes we don't. That is, it's adiaphora, it's indifferent, and it is up to individual Christians and churches. I think it's uh, it's good practice to, to ask ourselves sometimes what is adiaphora and what is not, and then go about, uh, hopefully, peacefully. Okay, so this was the big question, one of the big questions from Clayton. He asked... Is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? And I, once again, as being the unofficial sort of king of of Christmas traditions, am uh, often asked this or its concomitant, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Right? These have become kind of perennial questions. I presume uh, because there are people who don't want the same kind of Christmas movie all the time, maybe think they're a little sappy or some such. And uh, since both Lethal Weapon and Die Hard take place during the Christmas season, it seems like they could qualify under a loophole. So first, is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? I'm afraid that answer is up to you. It's adiaphora. Um, you can call it whatever you want. But I have uh, I have a, a way of thinking about Christmas movies, and 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 I, I love Christmas movies. Beth Ann and I keep a, a whiteboard where we write out all the Christmas movie movies we've watched uh, every season. So I thought I would uh, just take this last part of the podcast today to not only talk about my five favorite Christmas movies, but why I think there's something to. Christmas movies and celebrations and even secular ones that there's there's something something going on. So let me start with my top 5 Christmas movies. Number 5 is A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol, of course, the Dickens story. Uh this coming weekend on my weekend edition show, I'm going to be telling the story of the faith of Charles Dickens and um of course he's responsible for so much of a modern Christmas with the traditions that popular were popularized with A Christmas Carol. And of course, there are so many versions of A Christmas Carol. We just watched Spirited on Apple TV. It's with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, and it's kind of a, a new take on A Christmas Carol. And of course, you might remember Scrooged, 
uh, was a, a take on A Christmas Carol and The Family Man with Nicolas Cage, which came out the year I was engaged, because I remember going with my in-laws and Beth Ann to see it in the theater. It's a good movie. Uh, so there's many versions of Christmas Carol. You can pick your favorite. My favorite stars Michael Caine and a bunch of Muppets, a Muppet Christmas Carol. Great soundtrack. It's the last thing that uh, Jim Henson worked on before he before he died rather suddenly. And it's just a, a great, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, just a great take on, on A Christmas Carol. All right, number four. How about A Miracle on 34th Street? And here I will give you the decision to watch either. I think they are equally good. And I mean that. I think the the newer version, which is like mid-90s, is a really kind of faithful, updated take. It has um, one of the Attenboroughs, the Attenborough who, I think that's Richard Attenborough, who died, who's in Jurassic Park, who plays uh, Santa, and he's he's great. And uh, number of, But then the original is fantastic too. So it's one of those movies that I think was updated really faithfully, and you can watch either and, and have a good time. Number three is... Home Alone. Home Alone is a Christmas tradition here at the Van Voorhis household. Every other Christmas, we stay home on Christmas. We don't go to the in-laws, and we get Japanese food, and we watch Home Alone after we've all opened presents and taken our, our Christmas nap. So Home Alone is, uh, is a favorite. My boys love Home Alone too, and we found that a lot of people, in the, I think the, uh, the Ellis kids as well, if I remember, we were talking about it, and they love too as well. Uh, which I don't, I don't think it has the same. I mean, it's nice. It's got the, the bird lady, but it's not. Uh, I don't know. There's something about the original, uh, the soundtrack to the original. I've seen it uh, so many times. I remember I was, I think I was 10 years old when it came out, and I saw it at the Woodbridge Theaters, if you know the Woodbridge Theaters. Saw it there as many times as I could get over there. All right, number two. Number two, I've cheated just a little bit because we have a tie, but they are both animated shorts not full-length movies so number two is a tie a charlie brown christmas and the grinch the grinch who stole christmas the animated version nothing against the uh the jim carrey version i just it's kind of creeped me out a little bit but i love the animated version uh charlie brown christmas of course epic for the the reading of luke uh, I, t I said on my show last weekend that cbs did not want that read they didn't want just an overt sort of biblical message on a you know primetime special but charles schultz said you know if it's not in it then i'm not going to give you the, the the show and they actually thought it was going to be a, a terrible bomb but they had already sold the ad rights to coca-cola and didn't want to give that money back so they let it go and of course it's become uh, a staple the soundtrack by vince garaldi is another soundtrack actually last sunday at church right right after the awake service the band started playing linus and lucy which is the vince garaldi peanuts theme so it's charlie brown christmas and a grinch and in a minute you'll you'll hear why all of these are are lumped up together and then my number one christmas movie it is it's a wonderful life and i know that that might be cliche but it is such a good movie. It is so well acted. It is, um, you know, it was seen as as kind of cheesy at the time. Frank Capra was seen as kind of a um, old Hollywood. You know, we were sort of moving on into the the new world of cinema, 
and this was kind of a throwback even then, and it still is, but there's something wonderful about uh, Donna Reed and, um, uh, why am I going to forget his name? Uh, you're saying it right now as you're listening to it. <laughs> James? Hold on. What's his name? Oh, man. Do I need to look it up? Uh, that's why I sit in front of a computer when I do this stuff. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. It's, I'm going to kick myself when I see it. Jimmy Stewart, of course. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, such a great movie. Um, just, just, I don't know. It, it's, it still gets me every time I watch it. There's just such a, a, a redemptive arc to it. And so this gets me to how I would classify Christmas movies and why I like them so much. First, for a movie to be a Christmas movie, it needs two components. The Christmas celebration and the season has to be directly relevant to the plot. So just because it's taking place during Christmas or around Christmas or there's a Christmas celebration in it, if it's not tied directly to the plot, I don't think it's a Christmas movie. Interestingly, this would make Die Hard a Christmas movie because uh, the whole reason they get together at the Nakatomi, Nakatomi Towers is for a Christmas party and then Hans Gruber and the like uh, attack. So that's number one. Christmas celebration has to be relevant, directly relevant to the plot. And then the second thing is, for me, the stories need to follow something of a pattern. We're going to need the, the three R's of Christmas. That is reversal, repentance, and renewal. I think this is what makes Christmas movies so, uh, so beloved in a lot of ways. And this is really some of the, the, the fun of the season for me, seeing sometimes otherwise secular people, sometimes hardened people or those that see themselves beyond the, the quote, need for religion, become utterly enthralled with the story of a reversal, a repentance, and a renewal that takes place, ironically, on the birthday of Christ. This is what Peter Berger calls the rumor of angels. I mentioned his book in my sermon a couple weeks ago, A Rumor of Angels, Modern Society and the Rediscovery of the Supernatural. It's the idea that we have hints of God and, and, and the transcendent everywhere in all sorts of, of nooks and crannies. I, I think of the author Flannery O'Connor who wrote about the South being God-haunted. That is, there are vestiges and remnants everywhere, even in places that have, have succumbed to unbelief. There are still things that are giving us the rumors of a good God, of a redeeming God, of a transcendent God. And I think this is part of the Christmas season, even in its most secular forms. You know, when the cynic admits to tearing up at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, when an otherwise snobbish person admits to watching Christmas Lifetime movies, because oftentimes they're just stories of grace. I think even in the most secular of Christmas celebrations, we, we, we have this God-hauntedness. We have renewal, repentance, and a reversal. Our Christian faith at its core is this story, the story that everything is not all right, but by a sheer act of grace, there has been a reversal. The town comes out for Harry Bailey. The court rules in favor of Santa. The mean neighbor is actually a good guy. Mom gets home with the help of John Candy. That this reversal 
leads to repentance and change. What is a Christmas carol if not a story of repentance? How we are all lifted when Scrooge starts wishing people a, uh, a Merry Christmas. Or when Charlie Brown's friends decide to decorate his sad little tree and then sing Hark the Herald's Herald Angels Sing. The boy who wished his parents weren't home embraces his mom. And from this reversal and repentance comes a renewal. And sure, maybe in the movies, everyone lives happily ever after, and we know that until the end of this age, there will be sorrow. But Christmas stories, good Christmas stories, end like this, with a renewal. The rumor that everything is going to be okay. It's the sign-off for my other podcast every day. It was the theme of my sermon a few weeks ago. It's the message of Christmas, and it's still in our our movies, whether they be uh, explicitly religious or or not at all. So that's my answer to is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? It's a long answer, but you know, got the time here. Uh, but it's it's why I love the season so much. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your favorite Christmas movie. We're always looking for new Christmas movies at our house. Um, an eight bit Christmas we just watched with the boys. Um, it's like a Christmas story, you know, the one with the lamp leg and, and the you'll shoot your eye out, but it takes place in the um, late 80s and it's about a Nintendo. So if you're, you know, maybe in your 30s or 40s, you you might remember uh, when the Nintendo was the thing to get. It's a, it's a really fun movie. Uh, I, I always say, because I always recommend A Christmas Story Live, that is the musical version of a Christmas story done by the guys that did Dear Evan Hansen and a couple other musicals. And it was performed live on live television, which is really fun to see a musical done on live television with Matthew Broderick and, and, uh, some other people. So we're always looking for movies. We're always looking for Christmas movies. We watch silly ones. I'm a little bit, uh, I don't want to say I'm a Grinch, but I, I don't like, uh, the irreverent Christmas movies. That's just my, my own take where like Santa's bad. Like you're, you're, you don't do that. Like, that's, you know, but once again, Adiaphora, right? So tell me your favorite Christmas movies. When you see me at church on Sunday, I'll be wearing my name tag. And if I'm not wearing it, like Annie Swetnam, you can you can chide me and uh, and tell me I should be wearing it. Uh, but I just do. I think it's, you know, there, there are a lot of people at church and I want to get to know as many of you as I can. All right. That's me for this week in this Advent Christmas season. Hope you have a great week and let me sign off reminding you as the first bulletin I ever received at PCOM read to me, that of course is the news that Jesus is good news. Peace. <laughs>